0: We want to go to Acts chapter 2. We are kicking off a new series this week called What's Next? How many have had a few question marks watching the news this week or watching what's going on in our culture, society? We're praying for every situation. We really are. And in the places where we're under-equipped, we're asking the Lord's grace and mercy for that. But I can tell you that whenever you ask the Lord to step in, he's going to do a better job than you ever could. Amen? Amen. And when you ask the Lord to fight a battle for you, he can change and alter and move and instruct, amen. So I'm, I'm thankful that I can lean upon the Lord in these times where there's a lot of question marks in our minds. But this series is to walk through the book of Acts because I believe we're living in the last days. Anybody else believe we're living in the last days? And I believe that the church in the last days should look like the church in the first days. And so I believe we should go through the book of Acts and I felt the Lord blessed that idea, and uh, some of you have come up to me, and we're already teaching in spirit life, and and we're just going through the word of God. Last week, we were in chapter one. This week, we're in chapter two. I might move slower than spirit life, but I'm going to kind of grab from different places and give you a little bit of history on what's going on in the scripture there, but um, let's go to chapter two and verse one, and we'll work our way down. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all in one chord, in one place. Everyone say that's a that, that, that's a difficult place to be. They were all in one accord. That must be one big Honda, amen? That's my Honda joke out of Acts chapter 2. Every single time, it's a groaner. I have better jokes. It's like the little girl that was working with her teacher, elementary teacher, and they were on a Zoom session, and they were doing creative drawing, and the teacher clicked over to her personally and said, Becky, what are you drawing? And she said, well, I'm drawing God. And of course this was a Christian school and she was zooming to her students because of the pandemic. And she said, she knows no man has seen God. So she said, well, Becky, uh, she thought she was going to do an instructing moment. She said, well, Becky, you know, no one has seen God and lived, Scripture says. And, and God is invisible. He's omniscient. i um, omnipresent invisible the only wise God and she's trying to instruct her and she says so no one knows what God looks like and Becky responds well they will in a minute when I get done (laughs) so I love I love being in the word of God and simply taking the word for what it says they were all in one accord in one place that's a lot of people in one Honda so I enjoy that and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind. Everyone say wind. That is a very important word in the original language it's called pneuma. And they filled all the house where they were sitting and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire and it sat upon each of them and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And they were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now, when it was noised, everyone say noised. That's an important word, noised abroad. The multitude came together and were confounded. They had questions, amen? Confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how do we hear every man in our own language our own tongue wherein we were born more questions what is this so then you go on and they list down the type of people that were there and and they were all amazed and were in doubt more questions saying one to another what meaneth this another's mocking saying these men are full of new wine but Peter, standing up with the 11, he wasn't alone. He had the 11 behind him, lifted up his voice and said unto them, "Ye men of Judea and ye, and all ye that dwell in Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken unto my words. Hearken to my words. For these are not drunken, as ye suppose, seeing that it is the, but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken of the prophet Joel. Someone said, Amen. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. I want to say all flesh. That's important. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, and on my servants and on my handmaids. I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heaven above, signs in the earth beneath, blood, fire, and vapor, and smoke. the sun shall be turned to darkness, the moon into blood, and before that great and notable day, the Lord come. Lord, bless the hearing of your word and the reading of your word. We ask you to mend our hearts in any way that can be mended, and also, Lord Jesus, draw us together as the fabric of our nation is being stressed and pulled apart pulled apart. We pray right now that you would mend us and stitch us by your spirit together that we understand, Lord Jesus, that as the first church was, we can still be for the promises unto you and to your children and all who are far off. In the name of Jesus. And everyone said amen. You may be seated in the house of the Lord. There's a fullness of time that's given in Scripture. God who is eternal, bound himself to time. That is an interesting part of God's nature, that he was born of a woman, came into time in flesh, walked in this earth, performed miracles, and was lifted up and carried away on high. And the beautiful thing about this particular passage of Scripture is this is the inauguration of the Holy Spirit in the earth. This is where Jesus said, I have to go away that the Holy Spirit can come. And the reason why that is, is not a different, not a different situation in that It's still Jesus Christ. His spirit is still in the earth. But the inaugural moment where the physical kingdom that walked on earth through Jesus Christ, healing and setting free, when Jesus touched those that were sick, they were healed because there's no sickness in the kingdom of God to understand what kingdom means, king's domain. And whenever Jesus was was walking and expressing the kingdom of God in the earth, he was the physical representation on the earth of God's kingdom come to earth. So when Jesus said, I must go away, that another might come, he's not saying another person or another spirit. What What he's saying is that I'm not going, I have to go away and physically go away so that the spirit can come back and establish a spiritual kingdom upon the earth in other words the reason why we see the wind moving and the sound and the noise and the wind and all of these different things at the fully at the time that was full to come or when the time fully came that was the inauguration of the power of God being set up on the earth it went from the kingdom of God being physical and slipped into the kingdom of God being spiritual so when Jesus Died on the earth, he opened the door for us to bind things on earth and they would be bound in heaven. Amen. To loose things on earth and they would be loosed in heaven. To bind things in the heavenly realm or in the spiritual realm and they would be bound on the earth. And so we know that the spiritual kingdom was established with pomp and circumstance. It was with wind and it was with noise and it was with power and it came through the Holy Ghost. And they spoke with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And the Scripture says in verse 3, And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire. They didn't even know what to call it. They said the closest thing to what we see on top of your head is the same thing we see in a campfire when the fire is dancing on a log. When the fire is dancing, we we, we think that's what it looks like. It's, It's a spiritual manifestation of what was happening inside them. But then it uses the word cloven tongues and the word cloven there comes from original language which means to partition thoroughly literally distribution figuratively cloven to cleave asunder or to distribute in other words what was me what what the disciples saw was not the holy spirit just come for them But what was being demonstrated there was the individual experience that everybody should be filled with the Holy Ghost because the Spirit is not just setting up its authority on earth, but it's setting up its authority in each individual life. So it was being distributed to every single individual. So in the original inauguration of the Spirit where it says the Spirit sat down on the earth in the upper room and said now I am establishing my kingdom. This was a place where darkness ruled this was a place where lucifer had authority and there still are princes and powers of the air but now there is a greater authority there's a greater power there's a greater spirit established in the earth and it's not just going to be in one place in jerusalem but it's going to be upon every single person who has the experience of the holy ghost amen that there's going to be an establishment of a dispersion of God's spirit into every single heart and life. And that is what cloven means. And then it says that they all spoke in tongues as the spirit gave the utterance. Apothenomia is the word. It's a very hard word to say in the original Greek. But as the word utterance is very important because it means to announce. plainly. It means belonging to dignified and elevated discourse it's an elevated discourse. It's a spiritual language. It's not only a prayer language, as many say, but it is a language that the enemy doesn't understand. And I snuck into this just a little bit in our prelude last week when I said, the church has a stealth mode. When we go into praying in tongues, if you've never experienced that, just go ahead and read your Bible. Paul said, not to forbid the praying in tongues. Paul said, I pray in tongues more than all of you. Thank God that I do. And he said, but there's, there's a protocol to it. There's a way in which we do it in the church, community, and the way in which we do it in our lives personally. And he's praying in in this word here that talks about the outpouring of the Holy Ghost that they spoke in tongues as the Spirit gave utterance. It actually means not a word of everyday speech, but one belonging to dignified and elevated discourse. And this day in which we live, what's next? We don't even know what's coming at us from day to day sometimes, and the riots and the cities burning and everything that's going on. I want to tell you, your best response is not to sit there and just watch it happen. Your best response is to get on your knees and to begin to pray in the Holy Ghost. When they say you need to speak up, that is what I want to tell you today. Pray in the Holy Ghost because when you pray in tongues it is an elevated discourse. You're speaking up for people you don't even understand. When you pray for the unrest, you're praying in a spoken language that says, I'm speaking up for this. I'm praying in the Holy Ghost, which gives you elevated prayers, and gives you ability to pray prayers the enemy does not understand, and it prays perfectly because it's the Spirit praying through you. It's an elevated discourse. The enemy does not know it, and it's the perfect will of God prayed through your lips. There is no waiting period for you to ask, is it your will, Lord? doesn't matter who's speaking down to you right now. When you pray in the Holy Ghost, you speak up, Amen. You speak up for yourself. You speak up for anybody in injustice. You speak up for anybody that was hurt or abused. You and you pray in the Holy Ghost, you're speaking up, brothers and sisters. No more silence. Amen, somebody. That's the message we're hearing. No more silence. But these pulpits are not for us to add to the political noise of our day. We're here to preach the word of God. And I want to tell you, the word of God brought a, brought a voice into the earth before people ever needed a voice because they weren't heard. The word of God brought, brought the power of the Holy Spirit and testifies to us in Acts chapter 2 that Jesus gave his church a voice even when they were under Nero, even when they were under persecution, even when they were in places where they died and they were offered as sacrifices. Christians burning in Nero's garden and yet while they're burning, they're lifting their face toward heaven, praying in the Holy Ghost because their testimony changed the world and we celebrate the Christian testimony to this day. In Acts chapter 2 is where the voice of the church was given and where we can still use it to touch the the lives of people that are broken in this world. This church wasn't meant to be silent. Every place where God doesn't work in the the kingdom of God, it's noisy. Amen? Verse 6 says, and it was noised abroad, the multitude. Why? They spilled out into the streets. They made a mess of Jerusalem. They were speaking in tongues. They were celebrating. They were prophesying. People were there from all over at the day of Pentecost. They had come to celebrate, and they didn't know what was going on, and suddenly there was a disruption. (laughs) Was that loud? (laughs) Oh, no. My disruption has not been disrupted anymore. There was a disruption. Did you notice that you weren't really comfortable with that? In church... A foghorn brought to church. The reason why is because you're not used to disruption in church. And Jesus disrupted the religious rule of that day with a divine disruption. Amen. We have to to understand what takes place when there, there starts to be disruption in the earth you have to understand that it started in the spirit. Before this thing ever broke out in the earth, it started in the spirit. There is a divine disruption going on right now and there are people coming to God that never would come to God because of the things that have happened in their life and I'm thankful that people are turning their hearts to God but never give up on what God can do in a disruptive moment because it has to happen in the spirit before it happens on the earth and they had the Holy Ghost pour out and then noise out into the street. There was a divine Disruption. Every place you look in scripture, there's a divine disruption. Speak to the bones, and the bones came together. A divine disruption. There was a moment in in our service this morning where we were talking about a a miracle happening to the man at the gate. Beautiful. An ugly situation at a beautiful gate, but they reached down and they said to such as I have, give I thee. And they disrupted his entire life. Every systemic thing he had going on. He had somebody bringing him to the gate every day. He had set up everything he needed to set up. When there's a divine disruption. It changes everything in your life. Are you able to handle the power of God's presence? Are you able to handle a divine disruption in your life? I pray there's some noise made by the church today that says there is availability in our hearts. There's an open door for God to disrupt everything that we're doing. I pray that the Holy Spirit would break out while I'm preaching. I don't have to finish a sermon. I don't need a certain song to be finished. I don't need a certain lick to be hit by the drums or the the guitar. If God wants to break into this place, this is his church. Let him do what he wants to do. Let there be a divine disruption again in the church. Let graves open again like they did. Let the wind come across the mulberry trees, David, where you wait on God before you attack the Philistines. And even if you won before, he waited for the noise of the Spirit. The noise came first, then the Spirit won the battle. Amen. God knows how to do a divine disruption. And I'm so moved by the fact that the church was born with a divine disruption. They don't need a foghorn. They don't, didn't need somebody to announce them. God did it all by himself. God filled them with the Holy Ghost so much. They, the, un, the, the unintellectual people said they're drunk, and the intellectual people said, what is this? I don't understand. Some of these men that were in the scriptures, the Parthians and the Medes and the Elamites and the dwellers of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia and Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt, some of these men knew 10 and 12 languages. They were very educated. And so there was an educated group and a non-educated group. And Peter addressed them both. He said, the Holy Ghost is for you. If you have more doctorates than a, more, more degrees in a thermometer, if you have more doctors than anybody else in the room, you're not better than anybody else. You need an experience with the Holy Ghost yourself. But if you've never had a chance, if you've never had the ability to step up, if you've never been given any breaks, the Holy Ghost is for you too. Two, the Holy Ghost is for those that know and don't know, those with wisdom and don't have wisdom. The power of the Holy Ghost fell out on the church to touch every one. Amen, somebody. These are not drunken as you supposed, being it's only 9 o'clock. He's like, it, it may be 5 o'clock somewhere, but that's not what's going on here. And so Jesus was in the earth, left the earth. The Spirit came, the inauguration. And the external signs were to say, God's power has set down on the earth. And the internal sign is to say, God's power is set down in your heart. That God is still saving souls. Amen. He's still healing spirits and minds and hearts. He's still changing people in their heart and their body. These people are still surrendering themselves unto God. I still believe the battle belongs to the Lord. And Dave, David is mentioned in Scripture here. When you get further down, he says, "Ye men of Israel, in verse twenty-two, ye men of Israel, hear the words: Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you. He, you know, for the reason you know this man; you've seen him do miracles, as you yourself also know him being de- delivered by." the determined counsel, the terminate counsel, and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up. Jews didn't kill Jesus. He laid himself down, amen. And God raised him up, having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that they should be holden of him. In other words, that word holden in the original language means they didn't have authority to, to reach and hang on to him. Jesus could get back up and by the power of God. For David speaketh concerning him. Here he he references in Acts chapter 2. After the greatest outpouring of the Holy Ghost, he references David. How many know the story of David? Raise your hand if you know the story of David. You walk through the Bible and those stories. He is my favorite biblical character. He took a rock and a rag and took out Goliath. He was underqualified and ill-equipped. Amen? Your, your greatest moment in life is when you find your greatest problem in life. Because your battle is what brings you into the next dimension of spiritual awareness and ex- spiritual experience. David would have been nobody. I was, I, I was talking to someone this week and I was telling him about how Goliath put David on the map. His fight was public. And his fight was ill-equipped. But you can take the littlest things that are anointed by God and do more with it than a man of war from his youth. Amen? So he took that rock and he went down there in the name of Jesus. In authority, he said, you uncircumcised Philistine, I come against you in the name of the Lord. And he did what he could do. And God did the rest, amen. God did what he could not do. And if he would have looked at, amen, everybody else was looking at what David didn't have. He was looking at what he did have. And that's an important point to make because the inadequacy of David was actually in his enemy. He cut off he cut off Goliath's head with his own sword what you need to know is when you find your greatest problem if you'll throw everything you've got at it in the name of Jesus God will take the battle the enemy of your life and equip you where you do not have equipment he will give you what you need to conquer through your enemy amen somebody Understand the power of what's going on here. He's speaking of David, concerning him. Verse 25, I foresaw the Lord always before my face. David, he's referencing David before my face, for he is on my right hand, and I should not be moved. Therefore did my heart rejoice. Everyone say rejoice. His heart rejoiced. He's checking his heart. That's what he's doing. That's my title today, is check your heart. He's checking his heart. Did my my heart rejoice? He said, and my tongue was glad, moreover also my flesh shall rest in hope. He's regurgitating in Acts chapter 2, which is actually Luke chapter, the second book of Luke, really. In Acts chapter 2, he's regurgitating what, what David held on to. You guys know all of the story of David. That he, he was raised up and that God found him. And I need to give you a little bit of history about David real quick. If you look at 1 Samuel 13, verse 14, it says, But now thy kingdom shall not come. Continue. But now thy kingdom, talking to Saul, but now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought him a man after his own heart. David was a man after God's own heart, and the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people, because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. Oh my goodness, how much the Lord wants us to keep what he has told us to keep. And so then you go on and you look Acts chapter 13 deals with some of this reference of David in Acts chapter 13 verse 20 to 23 it says and after that he gave unto them judges about the space of 450 years judges were in position until Samuel the prophet and afterward and afterward they desired a king Israel desired a king and they already had one Jesus Jesus was going to set up some authority in the earth, but what they were looking for in this original uh, uh, society was they were looking around at other, other cultures, and they saw that they had an earthly king, and they wanted an earthly king. And, Jesus, and God was like, that's not my plan. I don't have a democracy. I have a theocracy. My, my government is not of this earth, Amen. So we have to understand that theocracy is always higher than any other form of government. And when you see them being filled with the Holy Ghost in Acts chapter 2, God is setting up his theocracy on the earth, amen? So no matter whether you live under a tyrant like Nero or you live under someone else, some other form of, of government, socialist, anarchist, any kind of democracy, no matter what it is, you can still live for God because you're living under a theocracy Whenever you you give your heart to God. You're living under God's rule, not man's rule. And so we find that He's setting up a new king. And there's they're like, "Give us a king." And God gave unto them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin. But the space for, for the space by the space of forty years, verse twenty-two. And when He had removed him, He raised up unto them David. <laughs> The the prophet is known here. Samuel is crying for the loss of Saul. And while Samuel is sobbing, God goes searching. So while Samuel is upset about Saul, God has moved on to find somebody after his own heart. Amen. So it doesn't matter what you came from. It only matters is what is your heart for God. Do you desire God more than anything? Saul was more interested in the position of king, but David was selected because he was more interested in the presence of the king. Amen? So you have to understand that the judges were just enacting what was going on. They had gone into battle. They had carried the Ark of the Covenant into battle, and the Ark of the Covenant was the representation of God's presence. The the pot of manna was in there. The rod that budded from Aaron was in there. The broken Ten Commandments, Jewish scholars say, are in there, and the ones that were hewn out by Moses after he broke them were in there. All of those things were in that Ark and represented the mercy seat, which the angel had tips of wings touching, looking over the mercy seat. But they took it into battle, and Hophni and Phineas were killed because they were using it as a good luck charm. They had no relationship with the God of the box, but they had understanding from their king that they were in a position to win, but they didn't have the possession, the understanding that God wants to be with them. God wants a relationship with them. He doesn't want to be just their king in battle, but he wants to be their king in their heart. their king in their life, their king in their hope and their joys and their aspirations. He wanted to interact with them in relationship. And so they went into battle and lost the Ark of the Covenant. And we know that whenever the people of God were ready to go after the Ark of the Covenant, that David went out and the Ark had rested and been left at a particular place. And of course, the Philistines were we're struck with all kinds of attacks because when God says, turn me loose, he means it. And God is trying to get himself turned loose in this earth right now. He's trying to get himself free from any religious mooring so that he can enact what he decided to do in Acts chapter 2 in every single heart. There is going to be an outpouring of the Holy Ghost like we have never seen. And my, my grandfather preached it. Others have preached it all my life. I've heard it. But we are there. We are there right now in the days of Noah. It would be like in the last days. And we know we are there. And so whenever we're looking at the things of God, we have to understand we've got to check our heart on all these matters but we most importantly need to check our hearts to make sure that they're after and desiring God's presence more than anything else more than anything else more than position more than power more than a government that can help we're pursuing the presence of God amen somebody and so it says in chapter in verse 22 it says and when he heard He had removed him. He raised up unto them David to be their king. To whom also he gave testimony. Must be be one amazing man that loves the Lord if God starts testifying. You see, I always thought I testified about God. But when you have a heart that only desires the things of God, God starts testifying about you. You heard heard my servant Job. God starts testifying about you, and when Job had lost it all, he got it all back twofold, amen? Because God started testifying of him and said, I have found, look at the language here. I have found David. It's so romantic. The language is so romantic. It's like a lover who found his love. I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, which shall fulfill all of my will. David is with the stinky sheep, He's playing his harp. He's doing everything that that a, a lover would do to woo a lover. He's flirting with God. He's after God's heart. He's writing poetry to God. He's writing songs and singing them over the sheep, but it's for his God. He's doing it. He's, the hills are alive with music for David, and he's just he's just loving on the Lord and dancing before the Lord, and, and Shema Israel no, You know, he's just loving on the Lord, and God said, that's what I can work with. I will put a worshiper in the palace because I can make a worshiper king and they won't let it go to their head. Amen? That is what I'm looking for. You got someone who was stately of the tribe of Benjamin, circumcised the eighth day, the stock of Israel. It was the tribe of Benjamin that had all the kings in it. But when David started worshiping, he said, I'll go to a completely different tribe and a completely different people, not only to get me a worshiper, but to set David on the throne so that Jesus has a royal bloodline. Oh my goodness, God not only set up David, that's why David is mentioned in Acts chapter 2, because when the Holy Ghost sets down its authority, it's saying this authority is set on the earth, but it's not the first time God set his authority up. He moved David out of a pasture and put him in the palace so that there was a royal bloodline. So when Jesus stepped on the scene, he was not only the lamb, but he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. Oh, I feel like preaching to- <laughs> I hope you're still with me. I'm enjoying myself. Put some fire emojis in the chat online. I'm having way too much fun. What's next? What do we do? Samuel's crying, going, what in the world is next? And God said, I've already found my man. He's got a heart after me. And that burns our religious ears because we're a man after God's heart, and yet he's stopping at Bathsheba's strip club on top of the roof in Israel, and he's, he's, he's cheating, and he's doing all these things, and he's lying, and then he takes Uriah and brings him home, and then he actually sends Uriah back. And he's a murderer. He's an adulterer, and it hurts our ears, religious ears, to hear that he's a man after God's own heart. God will disrupt. <laughs> you jumped. God will disrupt A royal lineage with a man who is messed up as long as he's a worshiper. And God took him. And it's not that David had a heart that was patterned after God. That's not what it says. He had a heart that desired after God. He was after god's heart he said i'll take a man that will mess up and i'll forgive him and i'll wash him in my blood and i'll use him for the glory of god and i'll set him in a lineage that is going to be the bloodline of jesus christ i'll do all of that all because he's a man who desires me and what happened is when the ark left the tabernacle and went into battle and was taken by the philistines the heart of the tabernacle was gone And David grew up without the Holy of Holies having an Ark of the Covenant in it. David grew up not knowing the protocol of Moses' tabernacle. He didn't know how the priests were supposed to put staves through the ark and lift it on their shoulders and walk. And David came into power and he said, I'm going to bring, David was anointed three times. First as the shepherd boy to be king, then over Judah and then over Judah and Israel. And in this position, as he's bringing Judah and Israel back together and he's being anointed over all of Israel, he is saying, we need to go find the heart of God. We don't know where this ark is going. Hey, they they lost the ark and." back battle, but that next Saturday, they're still doing religion. What happens when we lose the glory of God but we still continue? And even Samson said he shook himself and got up and he wist not that the holy ghost or the god's spirit was no longer on him. What is the danger and what is the greatest tragedy of the church is when we continue to do religious things without the presence or the heart of God in his church. The heart of God was gone. There was an empty place in the holy of holies. There was nothing behind the veil but that next Saturday Eli fell off of course and broke his head signifying they'd lost their head and Eli's daughter-in-law had a baby and she named him Ichabod, which meant the glory of the Lord hath departed. And even with all of that being said and all of those events happening that next Saturday and Sabbath, they're still sacrificing animals. They're still going through the routine of religion and we don't have time for routines of religion anymore. We don't have time for the glory of the Lord to not be in this house. We need him here. We need his presence to set down all to us amen somebody every single time and the only way it happens is if we are people that are after the heart of God have you checked your heart lately is there anything in the way and so they're trying to bring the ark of the covenant back you know the story they get to the threshing floor and the ark begins to shake you see they put it on a new cart sometimes you can do the right thing the wrong way And it seemed right. David's like, okay, I don't know anything about this. Go ahead. We'll get there quicker. Put a couple of oxen in front. Put it on a cart. But when they got to the, what is it? It Someone's threshing floor. Do you remember who it was? I didn't write it down, and I'm not in my notes. But the ox stumbled and the cart shifted. Oh, that's his house. But what happens in the understanding of what took place was David was celebrating. David believes he's bringing the heart of God back to Israel. He's bringing the Ark of the Covenant back. And all of a sudden, the the ox trips and the cart shakes, and the holy box, the the Ark of the Covenant begins to fall off the cart. And the reason why is because the, the Ark of the Covenant was never meant to be put on something made with man's hands. And the Ark of the Covenant was never, it was always meant to be carried by holy men who walked in humble adoration to God. And so Uzzah reaches up and stabilizes. He reaches his hand out and takes a hold of the ark, and God kills him instantly. And while people are like, why would God do that? Why would God kill a man trying to do a good thing? It's because he broke the pattern. God doesn't need you to hold him up. He's holding you up. I believe that God would have let Pharaoh live had he not entered the water in Egypt because when he came into the Red Sea, he broke the baptism pattern and he couldn't let anything get through the Red Sea because that means that your sin will come through baptism. So he broke the pattern, and God had to wipe out the army of Pharaoh and wash away the past. That's the picture of baptism is washing away all the past. Had Pharaoh stayed on the other bank, I believe God would have let Pharaoh live. But what happens when someone dies in Scripture, if you dig a little bit, you find out that they broke a pattern of future revelation. And so whenever Uzzah reached up and touched the ark, he was saying, I have to hold God up instead of God saying, I'm always going to hold you up. You broke the pattern. It's saying, I need to save God instead of God saving us. Amen. And so, of course, God, uh, his anger was kindled and he said, no, I don't need a a people that hold me up. Dagon was falling down already to testify to that. When he was in the pagan temple, Dagon fell fell over, broke his hands, and it was saying that I don't need anybody to stand me up, prop me up, help me up, just preach Jesus, and it will do the work. You don't need to help God with anything. Just preach the word of God, and his truth will not return void. Amen. And so he's saying, I want to bring the glory back, but you're doing it the wrong way, David. And so Uzzah reaches out and dies, and David throws his hands up and says, Leave it here at the house of Obed-Edom. I'm going to go back. And David reassigns his purpose. His purpose was to bring the heart of God back to Israel, to be a king that reconciles. How many know that you cannot reassign your purpose? You cannot reassign it. Whatever God gives you to do, you cannot reassign it. And David found that out. So he went back and he began to study how they were supposed to bring it back the Ark of the Covenant, and then they went back and they celebrated and offered sacrifices and brought it into the city of, and began to just create a disruption for the Lord, amen. That there was a powerful move of God and there was no way, there was no way that God would not honor that. And so David writes such things as, shout unto God with a voice of triumph. He's like, he's a whole another dispensation ahead on his praise. David broke every, almost every one of the Moses laws when he brought the ark back to Israel. But because he wanted to do the right thing, he went back and he studied what was right, and he kept his worship, but did what God asked him to do. He was obedient to God, and the scripture even says If you find it in in the scripture, it says that God selected David because he would do all that God asked him to do. Can that be said about you? I'm closing. Can that be said about you that you do all that God asked you to do? If not, I want you to check your heart today. I'm asking you to create a divine disruption in your life through prayer. And the word shouting to God with a voice of triumph is actually a word that means to make a noise. It's a ruah is the actual original word, shout, which means to split the ears. Shout so loud that you need earplugs. We're going to start handing out earplugs at the beginning of service, because some of you are going to take this sermon very literally, and next week you'll be shouting so loud your neighbor will be like, please tone it down, and you'll be like, "Nope, I still got my praise. I still got my disruption. I want to have a shout unto God, and it says that that kind of shout, it actually, original language says to split with the ears, to shout in applause or for joy, or to blow an alarm. That's why I brought this, because that's from the original language. It says, blow an alarm and praise the Lord. Can you imagine if I ran around this room setting this thing off, how irritated you would be? But that is what God said to do. He said to just... Make a ruckus. Make some noise. Get excited. Shout unto God with a voice. Let's stand and do that right now. Let's begin to praise the Lord. The worship team's coming, and we're going to sing a song that allows us to get a little bit noisy, a little bit rowdy. If you're watching online, get ready in your living room to praise the Lord. Get your kids around you. The enemy wants silence, amen, but God wants us to praise him. Did you know that silence cannot be measured? Silence is not quantifiable because silence is the absence of noise. Noise can be measured in decibels because anything God creates can be measured. God did not create silence. He created noise. He spoke and the worlds were formed, amen? So God wants his church to be like him and make some noise, amen? We also know that darkness cannot be measured. Why? Because darkness is only the absence of light. And we are learned today in our language, in our spirit life class, Reese taught us that the Lord Jesus is the prince of life. And that life was the light of men, John said. So I'm glad to tell you that we ought to check our hearts today. Yes, we should. We ought to make sure that there is nothing in us that stands in the way of our worship and that we desire God more than anything. But we ought to be a rowdy and righteous church. Amen, somebody? will not you put your hands together and celebrate with me as they sing this song. We're going to just sing it together and we're going to worship the Lord. Feel free to find a place in the altar to worship. You have reign of this room. You can have a divine disruption if you want to right now and it will change your future. I believe that. Amen. Put your hands in the air with us right now and let's just begin to worship the Lord. We thank you, Jesus, that we can come to you, that you can search us and know us, that you literally research us and you know us. Lord, God, help us to do the right things the right way. Show us the way. Teach us your ways. Help us desire your presence, even in the problems, that the problems may come and go, but we can worship you and praise you. Amen, in Jesus' name. We're going to sing a wonderful song that I love. It's one of my favorites, but go ahead and just praise God. Even if you have problems, even if you have struggles, praise him in any anyways. Let's make a noise and a shout unto God with a voice of triumph today. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.